Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Jason Abrams, head of industry at KWX of Keller Williams, to talk about what the best agents are doing in this market. Jason was the host of HGTV's Scoring the Deal show, where he worked with professional athletes buying real estate. He's also a real estate coach and one of the most inspiring guests I've had on. We're ready to jump in, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire, with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what types of products and enhancements has UWM rolled out this year to help set brokers up for success? It's been a big year for us of rolling out product updates and some enhancements to our tools. Um, Our whole goal always is to make the broker succeed in whatever cycle is around. So we uh, we do everything we can to focus on the broker experience and really importantly, focus on the borrower experience. So a few of the things we've done this year, um, Safe Check Complete uh, has been a a recent rollout for us. Our 1% down program has been an absolute hit to really help in that affordable space and to help people get into homes who couldn't otherwise do so. Uh, We've had some great product expansions with our uh, bank statement program as well as our jumbo program to allow more flexibility and uh, to fit more borrowers into there. So it's really been a great year. We've done a lot of great things that we're really happy about, really proud of. A lot of robust products and listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. So we are recording this at HousingWire Annual here in um, Austin, Texas. I just got done listening to a session that you did for our CEO Playbooks. It was fantastic. And what you were really talking about was how your A players are getting recruited right now. Yes. For agents. I mean, it's funny because we think, oh, it's such a down market. Okay. And in a down market, who do you need? You need the best people on your team. Absolutely. And everybody knows that a quote unquote down market is the opportunity to capture mind share, which ultimately becomes market share. So the race right now, who are going to be the most influential agents and mortgage representatives and title executives coming out of the market? And they always end up kind of being ordained the same way, which is always by fire. They're going to go out and they're going to find a way to win right now. And then the market improves and all of a sudden there's more of everything. And so they naturally end up having the biggest businesses by the force of inertia that they create today. That is so interesting. And it goes against kind of, you know, what you think first off. But once you start thinking about it, you're like, no, that, ma- that makes total sense. Well, the instinct is, is to go somewhat into protectionism right now. It's to like, you know, we're going to cut all the way through the bone. And, and that, that's probably not the way to go in my estimation. I think that tough markets become competitive times for the best people. And the best people, here's how you define it. And and you always kind of know it when you see it. But at the end of the day, the best people are going to make those around them even better. And they're the ones that everybody is watching. Wow, that's a great, very uh, brief but accurate description of your best people. And I think, you know, if you're not sure, like step back and look at it. And and you asked a question in your session. You were like, you know, how would you feel if your third biggest producer, um, if you found out he had a, you know, he or she had an interview with your biggest competitor last Friday? And how does that make you feel? And it's like act accordingly, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's how would you feel about your interaction with that human over the last 30 days? Because here's the thing, everybody right now is in some relationships that matter to them. But you don't know what cycle of the relationship you're in. This could be the end, like that person could already be on the way out, or this could simply be the beginning, or this could just be a point in the middle. Because when I tell you, 
that everybody uses moments like this to assess their life. And they wake up and they say, gosh, it's harder than it was before. And you say, yeah. And they say, well, do I still want to do it? Do I want to go through another run? Do I want to reprioritize my life? How do I want to think about these things today? And it's so natural to assess relationships right now. If, if you're in the recruiting business, which by the way, anybody who's in business is 100% in the recruiting business. You're either recruiting amazing operations people or amazing salespeople. Like we are in people businesses. You should wake up every day on fire for the Lord that this market showed up because everyone's willing to entertain a conversation right now. So tell us a little bit about your background. Of course, people were very familiar with you as the TV show host. Well, you're the only one that watched it. You oh. and my mom. It's, <laughs> no. it's the only ones that saw that show. No, not at all. And, you know, working with professional athletes and and their real estate needs. And then now with Keller Williams, you're you're a coach, right? You, you coach other agents. So you have a lot of background in this. But how did you come to this? How, I mean, did you oh, start out being a, no, I'm no, no, so no. great with people. I got a 1.8 GPA in high school. That's sort of a five-year plan, which is pretty much the greatest sales story ever. And I, I came out and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was actually going to go sell shoes. And my mother, who has, sees more in me than anyone ever will, she said, you should get a real estate license. I said, mom, there's no way I'm going to be able to pass the test. And she was a smart woman, so she concurred. And then she enrolled with me. She was a teacher. And so that summer we went to real estate school together and we did flashcards and she willed me through it. And now it's kind of taken me all over the world. I mean, I became a top producer where I grew up. In 2016, I represented about 30% of the first round of the NFL draft. Um, I built a great coaching company and I've managed to do this all at Kelly Williams. I've been at that company 20 some odd years. So it's taken 200,000 humans to help raise me to one half functioning adult. Okay. So first of all, I love your mom and want to be your best friend. By the way, she still goes to Con Ed with me just to make sure I go. And she's never sold a house, but that's our day together. Oh, that is so great. I love that. So when did you figure out like, okay, I have to figure out the people part of this um, because it is such a huge part of real estate. On my sixth month, I, I, I get into the business and I started at this other company with these awesome gold jackets. And so she, she got me the jacket and I felt really great. And then in six months, I did zero transactions. Epic fail. And then there was this divorce attorney who kind of took pity on me and said, go help these folks. And so I drove to the house. I knocked on the door and the guy answered. He goes, what? And I, I was so shocked. And I said, well, I'm, I'm the realtor. And he said, great. My wife and I hate each other. Can't stand even be in the same room with each other. So we just want to sign quickly and then get you out. And I was a new agent. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's slow this down. I can read to you for an hour and a half. I have a binder. And he said, no, no, no. We hate each other. We're just going to sign. I was in that house for 10 minutes. I came out with the listing. I got in the Grand Am. I rolled down the windows. I turned up the radio. And it was like the greatest night ever. And I had this, this realization, which was that all sales were going to be about the people. But more importantly, it was going to be about the because. They were selling their homes because. And as long as I could get to the because fast enough, it didn't matter that other people were older than me or smarter than me or faster than me or had better marketing plans than me because that was all about me. The because was all about them. And it's been that way my whole career. Listen, figuring out the because is the smartest. I mean, that's what makes you the smart person is to realize that that was what it was all about. That, that was it. The, the rest of that story quickly, I, I, I went the next morning to visit that divorce attorney. And I said, hey, this last night was the greatest night of my life. Do you have a, give me all the people that hate each other. And he started laughing and said, I, you know, we, I don't have any more people that hate each other. And I said, well, how about people that are just on the way to it? Like, like I'll start building a database. And he said, no, but over the next two hours, what he kind of explained to me 
was that the secret to all sales is either solving a problem or presenting an opportunity. And the problems you're solving are always that are happening between the parties you're trying to sell. So number one, figure out the because. Number two, do anything it takes to solve it. And that's been my guiding principles ever since. Huge. Okay, so what are the what are the problems that agents have to solve right now oh, in this market? I think every agent wakes up every day is thinking the same thing, which is how do I provide the most amazing value and help people? And along with that, how do I make more money and how do I have more time? And I think that those can come into alignment in the most beautiful of ways. And so here's what I know. I know that over the last 15 years, agents' databases have gotten larger. And that's okay. primarily happened for two reasons. Number one, we just sold more houses. But number two, a lot of us have had these set it and forget it ad spends on all these CRMs that we have. And so every single day while we're sleeping, the database grows. But I also know that the number of touches that we've been making has not been keeping up. And so I would tell everybody out there, the last thing y'all need are more people to ignore. The question is, how are you going to go make meaningful relationships to the people that you have in your systems today? And I think that that breaks down to this idea of needed and useful. And this all came clear to me. I read a definition of the word compensation, and it was in a book called The Wealthy Gardener. And it said, compensation is something you get for something you give. It's repayment. You think about that. Think about compensation as repayment for a contribution that you made that's both needed and useful. And and that book was a 500-page book. I stopped reading at that because it wasn't going to get any better. But I would ask every agent to look up and make a list of every single touch they're doing in their database and then ask mm-hmm. the question, is this needed and useful to the consumer? Because if, if we were interviewing like the greatest marketing minds in the world, they'd be talking about segmenting the database and having cohesive versions and all of these things. At the end of the day, for me as an agent, that all feels a little esoteric. But I can make a list of everything that I send and ask the question, is it needed and useful? And I can start replacing one static touch with a needed and useful touch every quarter. And I could look up three years from now with the most powerful touch program in the industry. And that's not, you know, that comes from somebody who's just starting out or has been doing this forever. I mean, it's sort of an equal opportunity thing if you can decide, if you can figure out what the value is that you're providing. Yeah, and and agents are getting so creative now. Like I I was talking to an agent just the other day, and, and this agent... Once a quarter offers to come pick up any paint cans that you have in your garage and then dispose of them responsibly. And I'm, so if you're listening out there, touch the sky if you have paint cans in your garage. Like everyone's raising their hand while they're driving right now. Everyone does. There's another agent that twice a year they come and they pick up all the large junk that people have in their houses, mattresses and bookshelves. And they, they have big burly humans to carry it to the curb and just get rid of it for them. You know what he told me? He said, I know that they're decluttering when they take me up on the offer and they're going to sell. That is genius. It's genius. I mean, you look in Arizona, you got this kid, Mr. Whatever It Takes is his moniker. He's 28 years old. And he's going to make $3 million this year. I know he's 28 because when I asked him what he was going to do with the money, he said, I'm going to buy a black leather couch. And I was like, okay, you're still 28. (laughs) I get it. He calls all of his people and says, I thought it was my job to sell you a beautiful home. I now realize it's my job to help you live beautifully within it. Do you mind if I send someone over to clean your exterior windows? So for $70 that he's paying the window cleaner, that's the most powerful touch. I met a woman in New Mexico. And if I, if I sound excited to you listening, it's because this market is forcing the creativity. And that inspires me. She was, she's been a realtor for 12 years. 
But she's also struggled with her weight during that time. And I'm, I was interviewing her and I said, well, what was the struggle? And she said, well, I have too much of it. And I said, okay, <laughs> that is really charming way to say it. And I said, well, what, what did you do? And she said, well, for me, I realized that I needed to move more and eat less. And I said, great, what happened? She said, nothing. I knew it, but I just wasn't able to do it. And I said, what did you do? And she said, well, I went and I got a coach, a real estate coach. And the coach said to me, do something that makes you uncomfortable. So she sends out a postcard to every single person in her neighborhood that says, I'm going to walk every morning, 6.30 a.m. I'll be at the park and I'm going to walk. And if you want to walk with me, I'll be there seven days a week. Wow. You talk about commitment. Oh, my gosh. I, I said to her, what happened? She says, on a slow day, we get 15 people that walk with me. And I said, well, what, what about a busy day? And she says, I might get 40. And I said, well, what's the difference between the slow day and the busy day? And she says, they bring their idiot husbands which cracked me up when she said it. And I said, this is incredible, what'd you learn? And she said two things. Number one, I haven't had to lead generate since. I'm getting more referrals than I could ever imagine. Because when you become the best part or a change agent in somebody's life, you never have to make a cold call again. And number two, she wasn't strong enough to walk for herself, but she's strong enough to walk for everybody else. And those are the kind of stories that come out of this market. Those are the kind of stories that inspire me. I'm like, this is crazy. And I've, I've bought and sold several houses in the last couple of years. And anybody who's doing some of the things you talked about, they would be top of my list. I would tell everybody I know about them. I would be like, I would never forget them. That's needed and useful. And you know how you know it? Because if you're listening to this, ask yourself if you've ever gotten a touch like that. No. And, and then you know, okay, there's something there. There's this giant gap. And, and leadership is a lot of things. But one of the things it is, is identifying the gaps and being brave enough to go stand in them. So when you go and try to become needed and useful and do things different, I just want to prepare everyone listening. There's going to be a whole group that conspires to slow you down. They're going to tell you it won't work in your market. They're going to tell you that's crazy. They're going to tell you you're better off giving off knives and cutting boards. And those things are great if they work for you. But here's what I'm learning. The number one challenge that mortgage representatives and title executives and real estate agents have is providing needed and useful touches outside of the transaction. Okay. And, you know, we just had a panel this morning on commission lawsuits and how that might be changing the industry and how from the buyer standpoint, the buyer broker standpoint, they're going to have to prove that they are valuable and in a way that, that, um, you know, the, the consumer understands. Sure. And so I'm like, this is just so timely. I, look, I, I think it's going to show up in a, in a myriad of different ways. And, and here's the most exciting thing about it. Um, right now, you have, give or take, 1.56 million real estate agents. And depending on who you ask, you could see 200,000 of them leave the industry. Okay? And, and this happens every time the market comes and goes. The question that we all have to ask ourselves is if we intend to have our single greatest year next year and not be one of those groups, what are we going to do different? Because candidly, I hear speakers all day talking about the shift. Right. But a shift in your life will only happen if you either change the way you think or you change the actions you take. Everything else is external and you have no say over it anyway. Like you, you can't change the interest rates. You, you can't change the news. Those things are happening whether you're in or not. So you got to change the way you think and change the actions you take. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. 
Ryan, who is really at risk of deed fraud? So that's a great question. I think we should first state that the people who are not at risk are people that just recently acquired their properties, people that have loans on their properties, often high loan amounts, high loan to values on their properties. Um, those are people who I would consider as very low risk and people that should probably not consider our service as a service. So as of November of 2022, we've identified 83 million parcels across the nation, which is roughly 54% of the total parcels in the entire country who we've deemed as vulnerable. Uh, these parcels are specifically ones that don't have mortgages, parcels where they're non-owner occupied, properties where the mailing address isn't associated with the site address, um, and they're in some type of vacation area or vacation property area where lawful homeowners wouldn't necessarily know if an appraiser showed up or if somebody just drove by your property and, and did a quick appraisal on it. Thanks, Ryan. Listeners, you can find out more information at equityprotect.com. Okay, so I was going to ask you before, before we started, you know, I, I was making up a list of questions. So I was like, okay, well, how do you keep positive? And I'm like, okay, well, apparently that's not a problem for you. <laughs> like, no, keeping I think positive. we're in the greatest industry in the world. I, I, you know, it's so, it's so crazy to me because when you talk, when I talk to real estate agents and I say, what's the one thing you want to learn? They all tell me the same thing. Give me lead generation tactics. When I talk to executives at a lot of my contemporaries, they say, well, how do you handle burnout? And I think this is such an amazing juxtaposition between the two. And so I can't help myself. I, I tried to figure out burnout. You know what I found? The people that actually do things they enjoy don't get burnt out. I believe that. So if you're in the real estate business and you're waking up every day and your focusing question is, how do I force myself to do a bunch of activities I don't like? I think that's a stupid thing. That's, there's a place that'll make you do stuff you don't like. It's called prison. They'll have you do stuff you don't like 24 hours a day. Right. This industry is about finding the things you love and then doing them unabashedly with enjoyment. And I promise you, there's a whole group of humans that will enjoy the same thing, and that's your database. Wow. Okay. So, you know, usually I, I don't get to the, I, I'm like speechless within this <laughs> podcast. We're like, that's so great. And and I feel that way. I work really hard at my job. I work long hours. I, I'm not burnt out. No, you love it. I love it. I went on vacation for 10 days and I enjoyed it. And by day eight, I was like, but I miss my job. And it's not because I don't have other great things going on. It's just like, I love what I do. So I don't have to, I don't have to think every day like, oh, how am I going to do this today? And that's why the, the people that run the businesses that are the happiest. And, and by the way, the ones that are running the businesses that make the most money have turned their passion into their lead gen. Look at, I mean, look at, there's agents all over the country. Look at Ken Pozak in Orlando. This guy's had 7 million views on his YouTube channel. Seven, the mayor of Orlando called this dude the other day and said, will you interview me on the YouTube channel? The mayor called the realtor. <laughs> and I look at that and it blows my mind. And I'm like, how does something like that happen? But here's what I know about Ken. Because I flew down to Orlando to hang out and find out why. This dude could be selling tires and he'd be doing it on YouTube. He'd be selling insurance and he'd be doing it on YouTube. He's a media company that happened to monetize it by selling real estate. And you, you go down the list. The people, I, I met a guy. And I interviewed him. And this guy, all he does is go door to door. Now, by the way, that sounds kind of like the seventh circle of hell for me. I would not enjoy this. Works 135 days a year. Okay. His day of work is 10 o'clock to one o'clock, knocking on doors in his farm area of 16,000 houses. 
It's all he wants to be doing. He's been knocking on doors for 20 plus years. I found out because I called to interview him and he says to me, I'm in Lake Cuomo, which is in Italy. I found out later. Yeah. I've never been. And I'm getting bad service. Do you mind if we talk later this week? I said, sure. Calls you back later in the week and says, hey, I'm in Switzerland. I can hear you now. And I said, bro, why don't you call me when you get back to the office? And you know what he said? He said, I can't talk to you then. That's a work day. You think I'd waste one of my work days doing an interview with you? We have to do that on my off time. I plan my wow. play time first and then my work time. And I need to knock on doors three hours a day for 135 days a year to make my two million bucks. That's wild. Oh my gosh. And I said to him, why do you like it? And he said, well, number one, I get to walk six to 10,000 steps every time I do it. Number two, I get the time off that I want. And he said, let me tell you my 10-year plan. Now, here's what you don't know. He's 76 years old. He's 76. And I, you know, when he said, I'll tell you the 10-year plan, I wanted to tell him, like, I don't know if anyone's explained to you how this goes. <laughs> you're going to die at some. I didn't say any of that. But it was my self-talk. And when I said, you have a 10-year plan, you're 76. You know what he told me? He said, I have a 20-year plan, but I don't want to overwhelm you. And that's the energy. That is the energy. Okay, my question is, how does he get people to answer the door? Oh, my gosh. How, how does anyone answer, go door to door? I mean, where I live, like, no one is going to answer the door. I, I love that. And I met a guy who had that same problem. His name was Jim Fagan. You know what he does where he lives? He throws a party once a quarter in his front yard. That's, that's his entire model. And by the way, all this dude wants to do is have a house party. And no wonder he loves his life and loves his business. And the way he sets up the yard, half the yard, it's for kids. Bounce houses, cotton candy, hot dog vendor. He hires professional babysitters. The other half of the yard is linen, white tablecloth, so parents can sit there and watch their kids lose their mind. And it's so effective that the HOA came to him and said, we need you to stop having parties. And he said, well, why? And they said, well, because no one's coming to any of our events anymore. So now, of course, he does two a quarter because he's a realtor. And he's crushing it. So... I guess here's the point. It doesn't matter where you live. You should wake up and make a list right now of the things that you love doing, that you want to do. And then you should ask the question, how could I do those things in such a way that the world would conspire to call it lead generation? And I think in that moment, everybody triples their business and loves their life. I love that. So you were just giving a talk to executives about how they can uh, retain their top talent, basically. Um, when you think about that, is it is it first working on themselves so that they're the kind of people that people want to work for? Well, there's always that. I remember I was going through this run where I was hiring people that, that wouldn't live up to the standard. And my mentor at the time said, you know, you get all the hires you deserve. And I remember walking out of that meeting. You know, you, you, it's one of those where you have a bloody nose, but you don't realize it until you get to the car. And I remember, okay, so you ask this kind of esoteric thing, like, well, who do I have to be such that the A people want to work mm. with me? And I, I kind of think that becomes really lonely for a lot of executives because you could spend your entire life mired in self-help. And so I'll, I'll make it maybe just a touch simpler. I interviewed a guy the other day named Phil Jones, and he wrote a book called Exactly What to Say. And he said that the worst time to think of what to say is the moment you need to say it. And that made a lot of sense to me. And I said, well, how do you solve it? And he said, well, you make a list of all the reoccurring moments that come up in your business and in your life. And then you have a pantry of words and you start to construct conversations around that. And I know everyone listening is kind of like rolling their eyes and you're like, yeah, of course. But I had never thought of it that way. And I'll tie this back to retaining your best people. The best people have an efficacy around their words that everybody else doesn't have. That's how you know they're the best. 
They know the way to move people into action faster with them than without them. And so if you're going to retain them, you better be able to do it as well as they can. And the way to do it, from what I've learned, is all through teaching. The best leaders are the best teachers. Gary Keller, he's, he owns Keller, he's my mentor. And he says that leadership is teaching people how to think so that they do what they need to do when they need to do it. So that they can get the things they want when they want to have it. And so now, if everyone out there thinks of themselves as a teacher, the question becomes, well, what do I teach? And I think it's easy. I think you teach who it is and what we stand for. Because if you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. And most of your people might not know exactly what it is. And then number two, we have to teach mindfulness. Because the stories that people make up in their heads that they don't tell you about, none of you people, I'm sure, but everyone else, are the most damaging stories of all. Because everybody fills in all of the gaps in real life with the voice in their head. And that's very, very destructive. And then the last one is wealth. If you don't teach people about wealth, they're very susceptible to always be recruited by someone who can pay just a little bit more. And your income is not your net worth. And so there's two ways to think about this. If you own a business and you're not teaching wealth, just understand most of your people won't ever have it. And if you work at a business and you're not learning wealth, just understand you'll always be working. Wow. Yeah, I, I would say most of the audience just went, wow. <laughs> well, I, I also think when you think about um, you want to hire people and train them to think, that means you have to hire a certain kind of person. And, you know, you have to hire a person who wants to learn how to think and who sees it as their job to learn. Because if you're always teaching as a leader, that it doesn't do any good if that person doesn't want to learn. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, and, and there's kind of two differences, right? So um, Gary Keller told me, he said, Jason, let me tell you why you're here. And I was like, we can talk about something else. We don't have to get into that. He's like, no, no, no. Here's the deal. I hire intelligence and speed. I want fast and smart. Everything else I think can be taught. So your intelligence and your speed will get you in the door. Everything else will keep you here. I said, great. So then I started watching how everyone was interacting with all the people that worked with them. And what I saw was a lot of really well-intentioned, brilliant people would go in and they would teach. And then you'd come back 30 days later and 60 days later, 90 days later, and everyone's life was still the same. The only person who was getting any richer was the person doing the teaching. Hashtag every single motivational speaker you've ever heard. And I'm wondering, like, well, why does that happen? You know, and why are, why are the teachers okay with it? Well, number one, they're on their wealth journey. But here's why I think it happens. It happens because most people will teach and they'll do a great presentation, but the audience members will take no action in their life. And that's usually because you told them exactly what to do. But they're still terrified and scared people take no action. So we teach for two reasons, and they have to be in this order. Number one, get people past fear. And by the way, if you're listening and you've ever been to a class on lead generation and you didn't go out and do any more of it, it's not because the class wasn't good. It might be because you were still terrified of the idea of doing it. And you don't want to admit that in the place deep down that you don't talk about at parties, but I'm here to tell you that's the truth. Scared people sit still. We know this. So if you're going to teach, you teach to get past fear. Then once they're no longer afraid, now we tell people exactly what to do. And I would tell you 90% of educators are doing it in the wrong order. And that's why they're getting the same result they always have. I love it. I, if I could go back to the beginning of this podcast and count every time you're like, I wondered this. So I went and looked at this. And it's like, so you're a person who loves to learn. Oh, yeah. And, and now it's scary because now I have a research department. 
it's, you know, when you're just someone who likes to learn, you, you know, it's dangerous, right? There's two types of, of learners. There's kind of like intellectual tourists. You know these people, and it's okay if you're one of them. I'm a tourist when I travel. I have every single book on leadership. That's what they'll say. I, I, did you read this? Did you read this? Did you read this? And the challenge with that is maybe their life doesn't get any better. They've read it all, but nothing changes. And then there's this other group, which is the one that I'm trying to aspire to be in, which is I recognize problems and questions in my life. I then read as much as I can on that topic, only to create a model for a solution. And then once I have the model, now all I have to do is stay abreast of any new news that comes out and see if it needs to be tweaked. But for the most part, the things in your life that are worth changing are all going to be changed with a model, not an idea. And with action. Well, there's no sense in having the model without the action. The cool part <laughs> about my right. job is I get to write the models now. Okay. Do you have a 20-year plan? Or you're a young guy. Do you have a 50-year plan? Well, I just love the fact that you just called me a young guy. Um, I, I, I don't know. Our industry is so funny like that. Here's my plan, and I've been doing it now for the last five years. I wake up every day, and I try to interview real estate agents and interview mortgage executives and interview title executives and find out what they're doing that's working. And I take those things and I try to document them and share them with the world. And my belief is that if I do enough of that for a long enough period of time, my plan will all be taken care of. Jason, thank you for sharing with us today. You've taught us and um, love this. Would love to have you back anytime. Thanks for being on. It'd be an honor. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.